0: Okay, well, yeah, Nehemiah chapter two, <clears throat> we, finished, we finished up chapter one, what was Nehemiah's prayer, and then at the beginning of chapter two last week, uh, we looked at uh, Nehemiah, and at the very beginning of Nehemiah chapter one, we learned that Nehemiah was a man of prayer, and then last week, we looked at the beginning of chapter two, and we saw that Nehemiah was a man of burdens, and he was burdened. Uh, for his people. He didn't just say, well, it, it'll get worked out. And he didn't just say, hey, someone else will do it. Uh, what he did was he took on that burden um, and and then started to respond. And so, what we talked about, we talked a little bit about burdens last week. And uh, we talked about taking on, there are some godly burdens that we should take on. And then there's some things, some burdens that are not from the Lord that, that the world tries to place on you. And so, uh, what we said was um, usually our problem is not our design, our problem is the burden that we place on ourselves. And so, I, I use the illustration of imagine a sports car, uh, a, a precisely engineered sports car, pulling a 16 foot enclosed trailer full of tools, right? And, and I said, it's not working the way it's supposed to work, right? Can, can a sports car pull a trailer full of tools? Can it happen? Yes, it can. Can we get to the job site if I pull up in a Corvette with a gigantic truck? Can I get there? Yeah, but am I working the way I'm supposed to? No, and so the issue isn't design. The issue is the burden that we place on ourselves. And so I hope you receive this message is that, man, guys, there's nothing wrong with you. Please hear this. If you're in Christ, your design is perfect, if you're in Christ, usually the issue we face is not our design when we're in Christ. Usually the issue is the burden that we're putting on ourselves and that we put burdens on ourselves that we are not created to do. Like that sports car is not created to pull that trailer, but when it does what it's created to do, it is awesome, right? Any gearheads in here? right? When that sports car does what it's created to do, which is to break the speed limit and to endanger the lives of the person behind the wheel, it is awesome. But you can't place unnecessary burdens on it. And so we even said there are burdens that we place on ourselves that will drag you down, like the burden of isolation—that's a burden from the world that you're supposed to be all by yourself and fighting through life alone. Uh, the burden, and, I, and I'm a recovering one of these. The burden of perfectionism—if you want to be burned out your entire life, become a perfectionist. Nothing will ever be good enough. Or the burden of busyness—that you're supposed to be busy, 24 hours a day, seven days a week—and we we wear busyness as a as a, a badge of honor in our culture. Y'all see that, don't you? We wear busyness as a badge of honor and, and, and something uh, to be admired, and that is not your design, okay? If, you, if you're placing that burden on yourself, you are, you're, you're backing that sports car up to that trailer again and you're trying to figure out why is life so frustrating because you're not designed to do the nonstop busyness thing, even though our culture tells you that's what good Christians do, is you need to be busy all the time because when you're busy, you're important, right? Uh, and then today we're going to look at Nehemiah as a man of urgency, Um, I love that word, the word urgency. When we talk about urgency, uh, we're not talking about um, someone who's panicking. We're not talking about someone who is um, impatient. We're not talking uh, uh, about someone who has to uh, uh, react and respond to every single thing that comes across their way. Some things don't deserve your response, remember. But he has a sense of urgency about him, and the church the church, part of the church's design, I'll use that word again, is we're supposed to be people with a sense of urgency, right? Are are you guys starting to figure out um, that we don't have a lot of time? You all understand that, don't you? All the, all, again, kind of our, our older seasoned saints in the room, they go, yeah, I get it. And kind of the younger people in the room are saying, no, no, I don't don't get it. Um, Gosh, ugh. Let's talk about COVID for a second. I don't even want to, <laughs> right? And and what I what I'm about to say, I hope you you know my heart. I'm not trying to be offensive, and I'm not trying to minimalize anyone's pain, at all. But but do you what COVID has done? And I want to be careful here, is it has taken away, um, it has removed the uh, like. The, un, the, the false unreality of death, right? In our culture, we're kind of promised 90 years. Y'all know that? Like it's expected. I've got 80, 90, 100 years. And in our culture, we try to distance ourselves from death as much as we can, you know? Um, in our culture, and again, I want to be very sensitive. In our culture, when someone passes away, we pick up the phone and we make a phone call and professionals come in. They, they remove the body. We don't see the body un, until maybe we have an open casket. And even now we're having fewer and fewer, you know. And in our culture, we're trying. Death has become something that's kind of fantasized and distanced. Like it's funny because I'll watch a show, I'll watch a movie, and I will watch literally hundreds of people get killed. But it's on TV, right? But in our culture, we we cover it up, we hide it up. Um, In other parts of the world, when someone passes away, they keep the body in the house for days. Why? So that they they come face to face with death, and so there is a mourning process, right? Um, In other cultures, do you, even this, do you know what someone has to do in most of the world to eat? They have to kill something, you know? Um, historically, and even in other parts of the world, if someone wants to eat, they ha- there's a process where someone goes out and they have to kill this chicken or they have to kill this goat. Or- and even that, we've distanced ourselves. Like, what do I have to do to eat? What do I, like, a, or- I-, I go to the grocery store and I point, uh. ah. like, and it's already pre-packaged and it's not even shaped like an animal, you know? Or I get on my Uber Eats, <laughs> Uh, whatever app, and I say, I, or I can speak into my phone, I want chicken fried steak. And <laughs> within 20 minutes, someone delivers chicken fried steak to my front door. You know what I mean? It, it, it's silly, but we have distanced to death from our lives so much. And, and our culture tells us, hey, you're guaranteed 80, 90, 100 years. And do you know that the Bible says, Lord, teach me to number my days. Teach me to realize, hey, and, and I'm 37. Did you guys know 37-year-olds die? Okay. Um, and again, this is where I, I'm, I promise I'm trying to be as sensitive as I can. Did you know 37-year-olds died before COVID? Right? What, what has COVID done? I think it's really just put into our face this reality of, hey, guys, people are dying. And it's not anything new. It may be different, right? And again, I'm not trying to minimize anyone's hurt or I'm not trying to say, hey, just toughen up and get over it. That's not what I'm saying. Please hear my heart here. What I am saying is the reality is we're not guaranteed 90 years, right? And this is what I mean when the church is designed to have a sense of urgency is that we don't have a lot of time, you know? And keep in mind, and, and we can't really grasp this concept. And think about this, in 10 thousand years, in twenty thousand years, when we're in heaven, we're going to look back and our life is going to be what? That's why James says, what is your life? You're but a a mist. I am one breath away, one breath away from being in the ground, right? And, And do you guys know what the death rate is around here? It's 100%. It's 100%. Let's let's be honest. And again, man, this is super encouraging. Wow, really uplifting. Hey guys, you're going to die one day. I I'm going to die one day. It's going to happen. And the Bible says, "Lord, teach me to number my days." Why? So that we can be goths and dress in all black and be weird and talk about death all the time? No, please no. Don't write that down. Why? Is so that we would have at least a small sense of urgency. Like a sense of, hey, is, is this thing I'm fighting for, is this really worth devoting my life to? You know, in 20,000 years, is it really going to matter the type of subway tile I used as my backsplash in my kitchen? Like, and you know what I mean? And let me tell you, it's not going to matter in 20 years. <laughs> I hate to say it, because someone else is going to come along and say, ugh, subway tile, and they're going to tear it out. And I can make fun of that, because that's my job, is I tear out other guys' work, that there's nothing wrong with it, but we just get bored of it. Anyway, so Nehemiah was a man of urgency. Uh, Look in chapter two, verse one. This is after he's prayed, and we're gonna see he has to act. Chapter two, verse one, it says, in the month of Nisan, that was April, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. uh, Remember, Artaxerxes is the son of Xerxes, and you can watch him in the movie 300. That's Xerxes, the bad guy completely historically accurate. Just don't ask any questions. Just watch the movie and it's thousand percent accurate. No, but that actually is historically his uh, dad. Um, When the wine was brought for him, okay, now remember, Nehemiah is what? He's the cupbearer to the king. So this is his job. He would sip the wine and say, okay, it tastes good. Um, And if it's good wine, he'd be like, hold on, let me double check. Hold on, let me triple check. Let me just want to make sure it's really good. And he says, I took the wine and gave it to the king. That's all completely normal. Now look at the next verse. He says, I had not been sad in his presence before. If you'll remember, the reason that is is because if he's sad in the presence of the king, the king can just have him killed, right? And so he says, uh, the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Uh, The next sentence, one of the greatest understatements you'll ever read, I was very much afraid. And then what's the next word? But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? And notice he could have just said, nothing, I'm fine, I'm fine. Like imagine the fear, like when he says, I was very much afraid. Guys, he is, he is, this is a life and death moment for him. The, if, if it doesn't go well, he doesn't get fired. It's not that he then has to update his LinkedIn app. If this doesn't go well, he will be killed. And so when he says, I was very much afraid, his heart was beating out of his chest. And you got to love Nehemiah because he was a man of urgency. He didn't do the thing of, listen to this, well, I'm just not ready. Well, oh, man, those are some dangerous words. God tells you to do something, and man, some of y'all, some of us, that's like your mantra. Well, I'm just not ready. And, and you can say things like, God wouldn't ask me to do something that would make me uncomfortable. What? Like, where, sh- do, you, do you even own a Bible? Like, do you, where do you get this? Or God wouldn't ask me to do something that I'm unable to do. What? Like, where do you get this? And some people live underneath the, this burden of, I'm just not ready. Anyways, and he says, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, uh, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? That's Jerusalem. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah. That's Jerusalem where my fathers are buried, so I can rebuild it. The king said, with the queen sitting beside him, he asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. So when we say Nehemiah was a man of urgency, what this means is that he had, his, 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 he had a mission from God, and let's be honest, he also had a real life fear, okay? Some fear is irrational, and some fear is, is quite rational, okay? Um, some fear is, again, I'm going to say that some of our fears are not rational. They're not, okay? Uh, those of y'all that watch the true crime shows and you're obsessed with how do these guys kill all these people, hear me say this, no one's going to murder you. Sorry. And so as a result, when you walk around at night, if you hear a bump in, in, in the other room, you, you immediately think what? Someone's trying to murder me. That is an irrational fear. In our house, Kinsey and I love to poke fun at this because anytime I leave town or anytime she's home alone, I, like I'm not even joking. I'll be like, hey, don't forget, honey. If you hear a sound outside, you know what it is? Someone's trying to kill you. And, I t- and, and it's, we joke about it, and when you joke about things, it, it, it uh, takes power away from them, right? And, and, we, and I joke, like, hey, if you see, and we're going to teach our kids this too, if you see a stranger, they're trying to kidnap you. It's these irrational fears, right? But then there are some things that are very uh, real fears. This is a real fear. And so, anyways, all that to say, Nehemiah, two things are happening. Here's, here's what the Lord told of him, and here is a rational fear, and they have collided. And Nehemiah had a choice to make, and his choice is, I'm going to go with what God has for me, despite this very real fear. And please don't, don't let those flip-flop. Many of us, we know God's plan for our life. We feel like he says to do this thing, but there is a very real fear. Don't bow down to that fear, guys, okay? Fear will always be there, right? Sometimes fear is very rational, you know? It, it sometimes, and so Nehemiah, uh, this is what I mean when I say, man, he, was a, he is a man of urgency, and I want to say that I want you to picture did anyone see the movie uh, 1917? Okay, one person. Okay, no, okay, more than one. Okay, It's a pretty cool movie. It's a, it's a movie about, set in World War I, and the whole movie is about uh, these two soldiers are chosen that they have to send a message to the front lines where they think um, the front lines, their communications have been cut off, and as a result they are set to the next day make this big charge of 1600 men to charge this area where they think the Germans have retreated, but in reality the Germans have bunkered down and set up artillery shells. And so the front line the next day, they are about to walk into a trap and no one's going to survive. And the entire movie is about uh, the beginning of it starts out and it's, he, uh, one of the commanders picks a soldier and says, hey, you grab a guy and come with me. And your job is to get this message to the front lines, okay? And it's this idea of, bro, you better have a sense of urgency, right? And we need to remember, believers, this, this is many of our mission, is there's a message that God has given you that we need, someone needs that message at the front lines, right? And the movie's pretty cool. The movie is done in two shots. Literally, the camera doesn't cut except one time in the, in the middle. So, it's shot in real time. If you haven't seen it, it's pretty cool. It's literally, I mean, like the camera just stays on this, this guy for an hour and a half through this entire thing. And it's really neat because it almost makes it to where you don't want to blink. Like you, you're like, I can't, I'm going to miss something. And this movie probably more than most war movies, there is a sense of urgency because it's in real time. And the movie uh, near the very end, there's this point where he, he gets to where the, the front line soldiers are and he's looking for the commander and they say, yeah, he's about 300 yards that way and they start blowing the whistle for the cavalry, or not the cavalry, but for the soldiers to start running and, and there's a moment where he stands there and there's explosions going on. <laughs> And he stands there for a second and these guys start to go over this wall and start to, to run into certain death and he stands there with all this opposition, with all these distractions and you can see him think and then he just takes off and just starts running. And, and he's running and he runs into guys and they knock him over and he's at a dead sprint and like I love that image of that is like an urgent soldier of Christ, like, there's all these distractions going on. There's this moment where you pause and you think, is this worth it, right? But you look up and you see that, man, there are lives on the line. And he, and he takes off running and he fights his way in to talk to the colonel to say, you have to stop this charge. You have to stop this. All of these men are going to die. And I won't tell you how it ends. You can go watch how it ends. But, man, that's an image of… A soldier in Christ—that's who you are, by the way, right? And I want you to expect opposition, and I want you to expect distraction. Uh, flip over to First Thessalonians real quick. First Thessalonians chapter five. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. If you get to 2 Timothy or Hebrews, you've gone a little too far, ahead. left. 1 Thessalonians chapter five. So this is a letter written by Paul to the church at Thessalonica. And he's writing this to the believers uh, because many of them, they they had misunderstood kind of how resurrection from the dead and they misunderstood that when someone dies, Jesus is gonna bring them back. And so they thought that they kind of had missed out on the second coming, and they were really concerned. Um, and so as a result, they, uh, there probably was some complacency there. And so what I want to point out is here's our opposition right here. Um, when I talk about being a soldier for Christ moving forward, my guess is in 1 Thessalonians 5, my guess is, well, this isn't my guess, but there are three people described in 1 Thessalonians 5. And my guess is everybody in this room will really associate with one of these struggles, okay? Um, And so let's read this. 1 Thessalonians 5, start in verse 12. It says, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with with each other. Verse 14. Now listen to his words. And we urge you brothers that word urge right there it means to it means to like invoke or to prod or to spur someone along okay so we urge you this isn't like a a passing hey y'all do this no it's like kind of in your face and remember this is a Christian speaking to a Christian don't try this with non-believers it won't work right but this is kind of in your face of hey like don't forget this like do this thing it's kind of like to urge someone I imagine you kind of grab their shoulders and you lovingly give them a shake like just to just to kind of click and and then I've got you I now please listen to what I have to say he says we urge you brothers we're urging you look at this he says three things warn those who are idle encourage the timid and help the weak and then at the end he says and be patient with everyone you know we're talking about remember this idea of being a messenger of having a sense of urgency and I believe that like three of the biggest oppositions to urgency are this thing or these right here they're just listed is that some of us struggle with we're being idle Some of us struggle with we're just timid, we're just afraid, and then some of us struggle with just weakness. We feel like we just can't do it. And so that first one, like, think about a messenger. Think of a messenger being sent to the front lines, and imagine that he was idle, right? Think about a soldier with a message, and and his commanding officer says, you get this message to that front line, or men are going to die and then picture that he says, okay, I'm going to do it. And then he sits down and takes out a sandwich. Do you see the problem here? Right? Is that man is not living with a, a sense of urgency. This is a guy that it's a struggle of apathy. It's a struggle of complacency. Right? It's this struggle of, and I think we all struggle with it, that when we're confronted with maybe something the Lord wants to do in our lives, our response involves our shoulders. Watch my shoulders. Hey, God says, hey, do this, and we go like this, watch my shoulders. Well, this, this is just as good as it gets. Or, watch my shoulders. Well, everyone's doing it. Or, well, it's, it's not that big of a deal. You know, or, hey, get this message to the front lines. Look, someone else will tell them, right? You're God. Why don't you just write it in the sky, Right? Uh, this, the, the idea of an idle messenger is an ineffective messenger. Uh, the other day I went to Lowe's and I go to Lowe's and Home Depot a lot. And here's the thing about Lowe's and Home Depot is people always complain like the help there is terrible. People are like, oh, it's awful. But when I, I, I never really got it because when I go to Lowe's, I don't have to ask for help. Like I know where everything is, right? And, and then about six months ago, Lowe's rearranged their store and I was ruined, right? And so, I'm almost caught up where I can, I don't have to ask for anything. Like, I know where everything is um, and I'm, I'm just being, I'm, I'm not bragging. I, I know how to, the pieces work. I don't have to ask, hey, what is a two by four? I don't have to ask... How does plumbing work? I just go and I do it. So when people would always complain that Lowe's, that their people were so bad, I was like, I don't get that. But I just go in and get my stuff and leave, right? Um, However, (laughs) uh, the other day I went and I had to get a shower door and I I went right to where it was, found it. Okay, there it is right there. I got the right one. And the problem was the shower door was up on a shelf about seven feet high. Okay, and the shower door, it probably weighed... I don't know, 120 pounds or something. And so I, I could reach it like, like like this. And so I thought, huh, I need help, right? And so I thought, I will go talk to one of the reliable sales associates found in any department. And because and so, I, I looked around, no one's around. And so I thought, I'll just go next door to the appliances. And I, I found a guy and I saw him wearing the Lowe's vest. And, and so I said, hey, I need, I need some help. Can you... Have someone come over and help me get this thing, and I assumed that he's he him as a messenger would urgently get my request met. I assumed that he would say yes, right? And 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 he looked at me. And he says, "Yeah, I'll, I'll get someone over in just a minute." I'll, and I and I said, "Okay." And you see my fault. I turned and walked and sat back and waited by the door. Okay, about ten minutes passed. And okay, so I go find a different guy. Same thing. Hey, can you get? And he's and he's like I gotta move these boxes blah 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 and I was like well can you get your guy over here and help because they have to get the little ladder thing that goes up and picks it and he says yes I will and and I'm here sorry to ruin the story he didn't have a sense of urgency about him he was I would use the word idle like he just didn't care so I go back and I sit and I wait and you know what happens what happened that's right, nothing. Nothing happened. And so I said, okay. And so I went up to the front desk to the help center. And I was like, hey, can I get someone to help? I, I, I can't get this thing down by myself. And she says, Yes, I'll I'll send a message and get some guys. And I was like, okay, good. And I thought maybe she'd call someone. Cause I specifically I had to have two people because they had to get the machine and they had to have a spotter. You know the guy with the flags, like he's landing a seven forty seven, but he's just he's just moving like the little thing. I'm like, we don't need the flags. But so I thought She'd get that done, and then I walk back, and then about a minute later, there's a voice on the intercom, can someone help someone in plumbing? And I'm like, that's not, what, that's not where I am, and I don't need, like, and so then I was like, well, our dog, it's up to you. So the story, I end up, I just walk down to where the ladders are, I pick up a ladder and go set up a ladder, and then I'm thinking to myself, if they see me on the security camera, they'll come and stop me, but then when they're here, I'll be like, hey, now that you're here, I have you so I was like this is a win-win and so it, it, I end up I get it down and it's super unsafe and I get it down in my cart and leave and I was on my way and so um, point point being guys um, the the messengers at Lowe's when people say they're not super helpful I get it and it's an issue of that right there they're just idle They're 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 complacent. They're apathetic. When I go to them with a mission, uh, they don't really take that burden upon themselves. They just kind of dismiss it, right? And so I love that Paul even says he says to warn those that are idle. Now think about this also. What does it mean for an engine to be idle? Well, listen. Are you it's turned on? Are you burning gas? But are you getting anywhere? No. Man, if I could describe the state of the world, we're just idle. Like does anyone else see people running like mad? Does anyone else see the world going a hundred miles an hour and getting nowhere? Like my daughter's hamster, when he runs on his little wheel, he is putting out so much effort and we're like, go coconut, go, you're doing it. Is coconut going anywhere? No, guys, that's how I can describe the rat race that is our world, is keep chasing that dollar. Keep chasing that next uh, promotion. Keep chasing the bigger house. It is are you are idle. You are running your engine, but you're going nowhere. And so, this is a warning. This is me warning you believers. Man, make sure you're not idle. Make sure you're, you're going somewhere, that you're not chasing these things that will never satisfy. The second thing he says is uh, encourage uh, the timid. This is an issue of, of fear. You know, this is someone, who, someone who's timid. They're, they're afraid. Um, usually they're afraid of not messing up. They're, usually, uh, they're, they're afraid of not being perfect, right? And sometimes we deal with people that are timid. I think sometimes we Um, we deal with them the wrong way. When someone is afraid, sometimes the worst thing we can do is be sympathetic towards their fears. Let me repeat that. If someone has an irrational fear, sometimes the worst thing we can do is be sympathetic towards that irrational fear. And I love that he says what? He says what? Encourage. The word encourage means to put courage into that person. And so sometimes we need courage more than we need sympathy. Are you following me here? If our fear is irrational, this is an issue of fear, you know. Um, man, two times in one day. Let's talk about COVID one more time. <laughs> awesome. Um, people are asking, you know, people are, and, and you've seen it too, is, hey, should, should we do the vaccine or should we not do the vaccine? What's your opinion, vaccine or not? And here's, here's my official stance, and I believe this is what Jesus thinks too. Uh, listen, I don't care If you get a vaccine or not I care why you get a vaccine or not let me you know what you know what I mean Uh, and and here's what I mean when we talk about responding out of fear listen some people get a vaccine because it's fear driven that's an issue some people get a vaccine because their doctor says hey you're a high risk you need a vaccine that's called wisdom now listen to this some people don't get a vaccine why because it's fear-driven. So when we talk about fear and vaccines, I'm not picking on people who've had the needle in their arm. Because you can refuse the needle and you're still uh, acting out of fear. And if you're acting out of fear, that is never uh, God's voice in your life, right? Inspe- instead, the Lord speaks wisdom. And so for some people, it's very wise to get that shot, and for some people, it's very wise not to get that shot. And so let me say this again. I, I really don't think Jesus cares what you do. I think he cares deeply why you do the thing you do, okay? So, and we are so consumed with what, and we miss the why. And the why is almost always an issue of fear, because I'm afraid, right? And I promise you that's not the Lord's will for your life, and so, and, and, man, if you, if you want to know if I got the shot, it's none of your business, but I'll tell you. Just take me to lunch, buy my lunch, and I'll tell you. I know everyone's just eager, to, did Russell get it, you know? Um, but, and please hear me say that too. If you've gotten the shot, I, I don't care, but I care deeply why you got it. If it's because of fear, man, as believers, we need to look to each other, and, and we need to What? We need to encourage. We need to in, in, impart courage into that person apart from us, not necessarily just sympathy, because sometimes the worst thing we can do is have sympathy uh, in some response to someone's irrational fears. Uh, and then the third thing he says, this other group, he says, and then help um, the weak. He says, help the weak. Uh, that word weak it means that it means without adequate strength, right? Um, the word weak, it means without adequate strength. And that could mean physically, it could mean spiritually, it could mean emotionally. Um, and I'm not a doctor or a nurse, but I know this much. If someone is weak, what do they need to do? They need to, they need to eat, right? I mean, think, I mean there's, there's several answers. If someone is weak, what do they need to do? They need to eat. They need to exercise a little bit, you need to get some sun, all these things, right? And so, when, it, when we're talking about helping the weak, we got to make sure that we're eating a healthy uh, diet and that we are feasting on the Word of God. Are you following me there? And in our culture, we are, we're surrounded by information but very little wisdom, Okay. Don't mistake the fact that I can push a. No, I don't even have to push a button. Don't mistake the fact that I can say, "Hey Siri, give me a Bible verse about I don't know fear." Like guys, that's not wisdom. That's not wisdom. Having access to information isn't wisdom. Uh, one of the bigger issues facing the church today is biblical illiteracy. Okay, this is not a popular statement. One of the biggest issues. To chase, to, facing believers is biblical illiteracy, that we have very little uh, respect for the Word of God, that many believers have no idea what God's Word is. Many believers honestly don't even think it's super applicable, right? And these are people, you want to talk about weak Christians? That's the reason right there. It's because we're not feasting on God's Word, right? Because when someone's weak, what do they need? They need food. They need solid food. And Paul says this multiple times in the New Testament. He, sometimes he gets on to Christians because he says, you guys are still just drinking milk. Sometimes he gets on to believers and says, like there's a point at which we have to say, hey, man, w- we need to get past these basic elementary teachings and we need to move on to some greater things, right? And Paul gets on to them. Sometimes he even says, you're not even ready for solid food yet. He says, you're still babies in Christ right? What's the issue there? They're weak, you know? Like a, an infant is always weaker than an adult, always. I don't care how, how strong your two-year-old is, I can beat him up. I promise you, I could beat up any infant on earth in the history of mankind. That's a bold statement. You put a two-year-old in front of me, I could probably take him in an octagon, most likely. I don't, I don't even think it would go to two rounds, I think if in the first 5 minutes I think I could take him. Why is that? Cuz he's just a, he's a baby. Even if he's a strong baby, he's still weak, man. And and this is I love that he says this issue. Man, you need to help the weak. Make sure that you're feeding each other what? God's word. And and this is why I say the greatest way we can help each other isn't always just to be sympathetic towards our fears. Sometimes we need to have someone that loves us enough that speaks God's truth into us, even when it stings, right? Because sometimes the truth stings, but man, sometimes we need to hear it. And so, um, please guys, with... With, with the Word of God, please be setting a time and a place aside that you dig into God's Word, that you are living it out, that you're, that you're meditating on it, right? And, and that you set aside time because our world is constant noise, constant stimulants, constant uh, just in your face. And the Lord speaks through a gentle whisper most of the time. A lot of times we wonder why we can't hear His voice it's because there's so much noise going on. Picture, picture again that at the end of that movie, picture that guy standing there and there's all these explosions going on around him. And it's always really interesting to watch movies about soldiers. I'm always fascinated that when there's all these explosions and there's bullets, it's, it's incredible that their commanding officer can speak and that they can pick up his voice. Have you ever noticed that? And that's, that's very accurate as well in battle. Do you want to know why a soldier can hear his commanding officers when all the, these explosions are going on? Do you want to know why? It's because he learned to hear his voice in the still. Is because he learned how to listen and recognize his voice in the quiet so that when all everything has broken loose, he can pick out his voice and hear his orders and go straight to where he's supposed to go, right? And this is how the Lord speaks. He speaks usually in a whisper. Usually, and then the last thing he says is, "Be patient with everyone." Uh, Man, that's great to be patient. Is because the uh, all I'm called is called to be faithful. I'm not called to be successful, as the world says that, right? And so that's why patience is so important. Is because if I feel like I am responsible for the outcome, I get very discouraged, right? I get very frustrated. Have you ever tried to fix your spouse? In, in one weekend retreat? You ever done that? Right? You know, and you come back, you like, okay. And, and the issue is patience there is, one, your, your job's not to fix your spouse. Two, it's the Lord's job. And, and three, our job is just to be patient as He works on them. And I love He says that. Be patient with everyone. So whether you're dealing with someone who's idle, who's timid or weak, man, be patient with them. Uh, these things don't happen overnight. And so, the last thing I'll say is, I, I think all of us will struggle with one of these things. Idleness, which is just complacency. We're timid, we're afraid, or we're, or we're weak. If we're honest, we're saying, man, I am, I'm a spiritual baby, but I'm a strong baby. Well, <laughs> you're still a weak person, you know? I can, in the octagon, I could still beat up a two-year-old, you know? Um, and so, I love that Nehemiah was this man of urgency. He, he was Remember, he got his message from the Lord. He was extremely fearful. He, he should have been idle, honestly. Think about this. He should have been, he could have been idle because he could have said, hey, aren't there thousands of Jews in Jerusalem right now? Weren't there? Yeah. He could have said, isn't that their problem? Couldn't he have said that? Yeah. Couldn't he have said, dude, it's 800 miles from here to Jerusalem. Shouldn't they do it? And people would have said what? They would have gone, that's a pretty good point. He, he could have been fearful, right, when he literally could have been killed just for being sad in the presence of the king, right, and he could have been weak, but we know that he had spent months in prayer, that we know he'd spent at least four months praying for this specific thing. He'd spent at least four months uh, feasting off of God's word, so when it came down to it that he was a man of strength right? Um, and so, man, I think we all fall into one of those three categories. And um, knowing that, let me say this, somebody needs your message, okay? Somebody in, in our church, in your neighborhood, you have been given a message to them, and God has says, get this message to, this, to the front line, right? I promise you, and I'm not trying to be uh, dramatic, Somebody in your life is fighting for their life. And I don't necessarily mean physically. I promise you, somebody is fighting for their life. It might be emotional. It might be spiritual. It might have to do with relationships. Somebody is barely hanging on. And I promise you that the Lord has given a message to you and says, hey, soldier, they need this message You've got to get this message to them. And so it, it may be warning, it may be encouraging, it may be helping, but I promise you somebody is barely hanging on. And oh, the, the power of God working through his church of phone calls of, hey, let's go grab lunch. Hey, let's grab a cup of coffee. Hey, let's get breakfast together. And then I, I love what Barry said at the beginning. Hey man, yeah, we can talk football and we can talk job, but hey, tell me how your, how's, how's life actually doing? Tell me how your marriage is. Are you, you know, what? how can I encourage you? That's such a good question. Where do you need encouragement right now? Um, because anything God does on earth, He's going to do through what? Through his, through his church, through His people. And so that's us. So you have your orders, soldiers. Are you with me? Give me a hoorah, I guess. I don't, what, yeah. <laughs> okay, no, that was weird. That was weird. Take that back. Uh, let's, let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your church. God, thank you that that these are soldiers in Christ. Lord, your church is is an army marching forward. Your church is taking ground. The church is taking ground. And God, I pray that we would learn to hear your voice when there's explosions everywhere and that we would run towards the mission you've given us. I pray we wouldn't be... uh, Driven by fear, because we're all afraid. Can I just say it? We're all afraid. We are. But I pray that your your mission would be stronger uh, than the fear in our lives, and that we would respond to that. And Lord, I pray that we would have a sense of urgency for the things that matter, and that the things that don't matter, (sighs) who cares? (laughs) I mean, like, who cares? I pray we'd be about people, not about tasks, um, and I pray that we would look around our church and we'd say, hey, who, who are we missing? Who have I not seen? And that we would reach out to them because there's somebody out there who is barely hanging on. I mean, they're hanging on by a thread, and it's, it, it's, it's incredible the power of just reaching out and saying, hey, man, I want you to know I've just been thinking about you. How can I encourage you? And so I pray that we would realize the power of that, that we wouldn't diminish its power. Um, and so, Lord, I pray that as we go forward, we'll go forward with boldness and encouragement and that we would fight off the enemy's lies um, and that we'd be people of your word too, that we wouldn't be weak, that we wouldn't be biblically illiterate because that's our only offensive weapon against the enemy. Let me just say that again. Our only offensive weapon against the enemy is your word. That's it. Everything else in, uh, in uh, the army of uh, Christ is, is defensive. The helmet of salvation and breastplate, everything's defensive. The only weapon we have is your word. And so I pray we'd learn that weapon and know how to use it. And so, uh, God, that's our prayer. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these people. Amen.